is, you know, is rightly being perceived as massive and unprecedented, but as Elliot has mentioned, like, it's also can be just simply described as the federal government enforcing existing labor law and just basically doing their job. And, you know, it's just, it feels unprecedented because we have never seen anything at this level from the federal government mm-hmm. in our lifetimes. Yeah, and I, just to close out here, I think it's really important, you know, the executive branch of the government does a lot more than just the person at the top. And there's a lot of positions within the government that are not, you don't run for and you don't vote for. And I think, you know, it's, again, I think it's important to remember that, you know, not all huge changes kind of are super visible, right? But yeah. the people on this, on the NLRB are really important yeah. uh, to everything that we talk about on the show. And um, it's important to remember kind of all the different aspects of, of the executive branch. Yeah, and to their credit, the NLRB has really taken, under the Biden administration, has, has grown teeth and they have actually taken action they're obviously way understaffed and you know under supported, but it is amazing that they're doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning into Labor Radio. We'll be back next month. Um, I am Michael Cathcart, and I'm Elliot Gilland. Have a great night. listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Um, Today we're talking with Monica Moreno about her father, Hank, um, and about this uh, this story of uh, a quest for justice that the Moreno family is seeking. Um, Monica, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Thank you, Ms. Lugo. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. So let's start first. Let's um, just tell us uh, uh, the story of your dad, Hank, um, uh, and uh, why we're we're talking about him today. 
Um, first, of course, thank you for having me and, and thank you, um, Prison Pipeline, for allowing individuals as um, everyday people such as myself and my family to talk about the injustice that goes on every day, um, not just in federal prisons, but all levels of incarceration here in the United States. Um, my father was uh, incarcerated in federal prison in, in Beaumont, Texas, and he was um, basically pleading for his life for five years, um, seven months, eight days. He was unfortunately another victim of our federal system. So your father, Hank, was uh, incarcerated in federal prison um, for a nonviolent drug offense. Can you tell me about a little bit about, um, let, well, let's, let's, let's go way back first. Let's talk about your dad. Your dad was a Vietnam veteran and he's obviously your father. So um, let, tell me a little bit about your dad, like just who he was, N not, not the fact that he died in prison because of neglect from the federal prison system or that he was incarcerated. Let's just talk about who he was as a father and as a man. Thank you. Um, my dad was a, an awesome guy. Um, he really was a great man, uh, putting aside the things or decisions that he, you know, made. Um, my dad growing up uh, was incredible. Um, he made sure that we had everything that we needed, nothing more. Um, he taught us to work hard. He taught us to be respectful and to um, basically treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, he was a truck driver. Um, he, well, let's, he was a, a veteran. Um, we'll start there. He uh, left high school early, um, joined the Army, and served in the Vietnam War, uh, came home, and of course met my mother, um, had a family, and was a truck driver as a profession um, as his profession. How many brothers and sisters do you have, Monica? I have one brother and two sisters. Okay. Um, yes, ma'am. Um, we are a very close family, um, all educated, grown up, and have followed the advice of both our parents to become educated and, and be a productive member of society. Um, Great. So your dad, he was, he was a Vietnam, he was a Vietnam veteran. Uh, where was your dad born by the way? He was born in San Benito, Texas. San okay. Benito is a very small town in the Rio Grande Valley. That's the very tip of Texas, South Texas. Great. So your dad, uh, Enrique Moreno, also you known affectionately as Hank, he was born uh, down there in the Rio Grande Valley and he served in the Vietnam War. And then afterwards he met your mom and had four kids and was a truck driver. Yes, ma'am. He... And, and you said that your father and your mother really stressed education, that education really mattered, and that all of your whole family is educated. 
Yes, ma'am, absolutely. That was a that was a, a main main thing that uh, my parents enforced um, with us was getting an education. It sounds like your dad was really a hardworking person. Yes, ma'am, he was. He was a, a hard worker. Um, he would literally give you the shirt off of his back. Um, he would stop, stop for strangers on the side of the road all the time, put them in the car with us. I mean, he, 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 he was one of a kind. Um, there's there's um, obviously no one like him, but um, and what did your dad like to do? Like, what did what did he like to do for fun? He loved um, his plants and uh, being outside um, in his yard and and keeping up with with the landscaping of it. He liked to to go fishing. He um, always tried to make sure that we had a good time no matter where it was, whether it was at home or at the beach or on a, you know, vacation. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. So your dad loved to take care of plants. He likes to go fishing. He likes to take you guys on trips. And was your family religious? Uh, uh, we grew up Catholic. We were. Mother um, is is um, super religious, and she, uh, of course, um, instilled that we go to church uh, growing up. Um, my dad didn't always go with us, um, but he would go. Um, mm -hmm. Forcefully, yeah. but he'd go. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so, so your dad, Hank. Um, he it sounds like he was just a really great dad to all of you um so let's talk about why we're having you on the show today um what happened um with your dad like how did he end up incarcerated can you tell us a bit about what happened with that if if you feel comfortable with him um sure he um basically was charged with um intent to distribute uh marijuana and um, got basically um, busted and um, got sentenced out in Beaumont, Texas. Um, was supposed to serve seven years there in um, Beaumont. And um, that's- so he, so he was charged with intent to distribute it's it's really a shame because in like I'm interviewing you here in Oregon and in Oregon it's legal I mean marijuana is legal and there's a lot of really entre I mean we've actually done a whole bunch of shows on people who were incarcerated and who had to do time so um, I'm gonna have to let everybody know about your dad um, but you know I mean in, in this state probably that wouldn't have happened um, so I'm really sorry that happened to your dad in Texas. But when when was your dad um, sentenced? When was he incarcerated? Was it in the 2000s? Um, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, yes, ma'am. He was actually uh, in uh, sentenced in in 2011 in 2011. Okay. Yeah, and he was sentenced to he was sentenced to federal prison. So. 
that was that was a drug like a drug bust or something then it was it was yeah yeah Yeah, i'm sorry that happened to your dad how how did that how did that affect your dad how did it affect the family when he was um arrested and then and then did he did he do a plea deal or did he go to trial um no he just took what what um they gave him and 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 he went with it um of course tried to fight it later on uh while he was serving his time and um but but he took took the time and didn't didn't make any type of deal or take any type of deal and um or trial either um my dad was the type of person that was just you know, accept the accept the consequences for your actions. So yeah, mm-hmm. was that his first time um, that he had been arrested, and um, or did he have priors? No, oh, ma'am, that was actually the second time. His second time in um, federal prison for the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the so he he didn't even contest the charges. He just accepted the sentence and you said he I remember reading in some of the pre-interview information you sent me that he spent a lot of his time while he was incarcerated um, working in the law library uh, yes ma'am he had a passion for that he uh, loved to help other people that uh, were there with him in any way he could including calling me and you know any of us to send him anything we could from the outside basically information or case law or or books or um, anything that would help him help other people Um, Mm -hmm. and he loved it he 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 spent a lot of his time there in in that library Mm -hmm. that's great so was your dad was your dad close by was um so you said he was sentenced and but what's he where where was he incarcerated? Was he incarcerated near nearby near family, or was he far away? Uh, yes, ma'am. He was in Beaumont, Texas, which is roughly a, an hour and a half away from Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. And um, myself and and one of my sisters, we live here in Houston, and my other two siblings, my brother and my other sister, live um, down in South Texas and uh, in San Benito, which is five hours away from Houston. Yeah. So we were, were a little to, bit closer. Mm-hmm. Were you able to keep keep pretty consistent contact with your dad throughout his seven-year incarceration? Yes, ma'am. We would visit him often uh, mm-hmm. there in, in Beaumont. And uh, if we weren't visiting, we were on sending emails or talking on the phone, writing mm-hmm. letters. Mm-hmm. It sounds like your dad was just like a really good, ethical, responsible person. And like when he just decided to do the time, he was trying to set an example and, uh, you know, just kind of accept the consequences of of his actions within the state that he lived in. So that makes the what we're going to talk about now just really especially sad. And, um, you know, please, please let me know if I'm asking anything that you don't feel comfortable talking about. But um, so your dad was getting very near to the end of his seven-year sentence. And then what happened? Um, he's about 
two weeks away, um, well, actually 20 days away from his final release date from um, the federal system um, to walk away as a free man. And he started to have some complications um, of, 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 of his health um, involving uh, hepatitis C. Um, mm-hmm. he, which is really common for people who are incarcerated to contract. Yes, ma'am. And the thing is, is, is when he arrived in, in 2011, um, protocol or guidelines say that you should be tested and treated in certain ways for whatever it is that you have. Um, so he got there in 2011, in April of 2011, and none of that actually happened, or he didn't, it never even got tested until October of 2012. So from October of 2012, he knows he has um, hepatitis and uh, cirrhosis of the liver, and and he continues to see doctors and in all kinds of of radiologists and gastro and all kinds of 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 doctors trying to figure out what his problem is and and unfortunately the way the system handles things is to just point the finger or to not specifically put down what the root problem is because then they actually have to take care of it so that never really happened um, to where they officially tell him that yeah you have hep C you have cirrhosis of the liver and we're going to give you some medication you know um, he begged for medication I mean I, I think I have over probably 55 requests official requests um, for assistance from from medical so all of this time, all these years, he's asking for help because he sees that there's a problem and all of the documents say that there's a problem and, and sonograms and MRIs and x-rays and they all, it all shows that there's a problem and um, they keep ignoring him and deferring him or just flat out rejecting him. And um, finally, the last two weeks of his life, um, we stopped hearing from him, uh, which was rare because we talk to him all the time, some once, maybe once a day or maybe 10 times a day. Um, and we just stopped hearing from him, which was really weird. And so we started getting messages from other um, of his cellmates or just other. Yeah, you mentioned inmates. that the way that you heard about like what had happened to your father was that you received emails from other inmates who knew him and that's like the prison didn't notify you You had to find out via email which i didn't even know that people who were incarcerated in texas could send emails but somehow they got the message to you exactly yes ma'am um there is a type of communication system it's called core links and it allows inmates to communicate um through with outside people but on an approved list um and so yes i i received an email we all 
received emails saying, hey, your dad is not well. He's not even here. And then another email saying, hey, he's not even here anymore. We don't know what happened. He's been taken away. Check on him because something is seriously wrong. And of, of course, we don't hear anything from the prison um, or anyone there. Um, till this day, no one has ever returned our phone calls. Um, Even three years it, later. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Five years later. Um, five years. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, the amount of time that an effort we took to just locate him. Um, we made so many calls and emails and all types of requests to the Southern Regional uh, level, to Washington, D.C., seeking, just trying to find out if if he's alive. Um, Ultimately, we, only way we find out where he's at is my brother gets a call from the chaplain at at the prison saying, hey, you should probably go see your dad. He's at the hospital in Beaumont, Texas. Mm-hmm. And can you tell me the conditions that he was hospitalized? Um, yes. So the when he gets to when he's in in Beaumont, he apparently uh, collapses and the federal uh, prison there in Beaumont transfer him to a prison, I mean, a, I'm sorry, a, a hospital there in Beaumont, Texas called St. Elizabeth. And St. Elizabeth refuses treatment uh, for him, um, basically sees the condition that he's in, his abdomen is, is protruding, he's... Um, has a a lot of indication that he's in a going going down basically he's going going downwards. Mm-hmm. Saint Elizabeth uh, refuses treatment on him, and they send him back to the prison in Beaumont, um, Beaumont Low. Um, from there, the next day, Beaumont Low sends him to Ben Top Hospital. In, in Houston and he was in very poor condition when he arrived uh, at Bentop um, was of course handcuffed to the bed um, hands and feet for two weeks um, you had one and sometimes more uh, federal agents in the room or outside the door um, to make sh- sure he didn't have any visitors or, you know, it's, it's not like he could go anywhere. I mean, he was immobile. He, um, but his health was, was declining. There was um, just kind of a, a shutdown already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I'm so sorry. So then your your dad passed away. Was, was anyone from the family like with your dad or able to be with him during his final moments? Um, the crazy thing is, is um, so my dad's in Beaumont. I mean, my dad is in Houston in a hospital bed for two weeks. Um, and we are moment, just minutes away down the street since we live here in Houston. Um, but for two weeks, we are all going crazy trying to locate him just to even find out that he's alive um, so much that we have to get um, our congresswoman involved and our state rep involved and make an official request to them to get in contact with the BOP to find out not necessarily the location of the prisoner but whether the person is just alive Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, clearly he's not at the facility anymore so you know mm-hmm. it was um, so it took great effort just to to even find out the status and so these two weeks that he's there um, that final call was from the chaplain saying you should probably come down here and and visit with your dad because he's basically not going to make it. Um, he calls my brother who's basically five hours away from, from Houston and him and my older sister, uh, come up or they make the drive from the Valley. And in the meantime, my younger sister and I go to the um, hospital here in Houston to, finally see him um he can't speak he basically um wrote to us on a piece of paper and that's how we last communicated um Mm -hmm. we waited for our other siblings to get here And um, it was basically the same thing. Um, They got here, he communicated a couple words on a piece of paper, and then he just let go. Mm -hmm. It really seemed like he was waiting for for us. Yeah. Unfortunately, that little piece of paper that we exchanged um, these last um, words on uh, was confiscated by the federal agents that were there um, because they deemed it to be federal property and um, basically took it away from us and said we couldn't take it or have it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just so happens that at the end of the day, um, there was an agent who had a heart and she flat out told us, hide this, take this away, take it out of the building right now. Mm-hmm. And we did, we took it out. we took it straight to the car and we put it away. Yeah. Um, and so we did get to see him and, a majority of his 
um, siblings got to come up and um, of course not communicate with him in any way because he was basically already gone. And um, we had a, a quite a few people come up um, from the Valley, from South Texas to come pay their last respects to him. So Monica, what was the aftermath of this after your father had passed away and after like the funeral and everything? um, What did the family do to seek justice in this case? I mean, it's obviously a case of medical neglect and failure to address the medical needs of an adult in custody. Uh, So what did the family do? Um, So I'd um, like to mention that several days after my um, dad passed away, we get a letter from the warden at Beaumont Low. Her name was Rachel Chapa, and she sends a letter to us basically giving their condolences and giving us a a preliminary cause of death for him. And uh, their preliminary cause of death was pulmonary cardiovascular collapse. Mm -hmm. So of course we did not believe that. Um, We knew what was going on for years. We knew what was going on even us on the outside would send requests in for medical treatment for my dad. So it wasn't just my dad asking for help, but, and it it just never got done. Um, We decided to file a legal action in federal court to try to hold somebody responsible for what they did. The nurses, the doctors, the administrators, the directors, someone. Because um, one, if not all of those people were the cause of him not getting what he needed. They simply had to just follow the rules and follow the guidelines and and take care of him as as they're directed to do. Well, thank you. We've been talking tonight with Monica Moreno about uh, her dad, uh, Hank, who died in federal custody because of medical neglect. Um, thank you so much for sharing your father's story, Monica. Um, is there anything else that you'd like to share before we, we close? Um, no, ma'am. Thank you for for allowing me to to talk about him and and his experience and and our experience with the system and hopefully um, we all can make a change in in what's going on today. Well, it's been a real privilege having you on. Thank you so much for joining us on Prison Pipeline. Same here. Thank you. Take care. Understand me now If sometimes you see that I'm mad 
Don't you know no one alive can all 